Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. PC is a 58-year-old male who has hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and prediabetes. He works as an electrician and admits he eats poorly. He gets most of his daytime meals, the $5.99 special, from the local gas station convenience store right next to his office. His current meds are losartan and hydrochlorothiazide and atorvastatin. Doc, he says, I know I need to change how I eat, and I hate taking pills. Should I go on a keto diet or do something? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Baldor, professor and founding chair from the Department of Family Medicine at UMass Chan Medical School, Bay State, located in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hello, Bob. Hi, Frank. I'm uh, glad to be able to uh, have you talk about this today. I mean, it seems like every week there's a new diet craze, uh, help people live longer and better. And uh, you know, I love the, the fact that uh, PC here has found the 599 specials. Locally here, they're all 699 and 799 and up. But anyways, how do we uh, help our uh, patients really go through the data to say, you know, what should we, what can they believe? You know, is it keto? Is it paleo? What, what are all these things about? Yeah, you know, Bob, intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, Keto, paleo, all these things have been suggested for weight loss, but most of these studies are demonstrating efficacy in rodents, and they're very short-term, done over a few weeks, rather than over years. And the few studies that are done in, in, in humans are, are very short. So while they may provide some short-term weight loss, none, and I really mean that, none of these studies have been able to demonstrate life expectancy or decrease in all-cause mortality associated with any of these sorts of diets. I don't recommend them at all because in general, they're just short-term changes, things that people can't do for the rest of their life. So we need to rethink how we approach dealing with patients who want to try a diet and, and rather maybe refocus them on changing the way how they want to eat for the rest of their lives. You know, Frank, I don't disagree with that. And, and, and uh, but patients, again, they're, they're coming in, they're asking about these things, they're looking for that magic bullet. And so I'm always looking for data. These small studies, they give us little snippets, right, of uh, information, as you're saying. Are there any good large data studies out there that can help us? Well, there are. And, and they've been going on for a while. And in particular, there's ones that involve uh, healthcare providers. I want to talk about a prospective cohort study. So it's an observational study of initially healthy women from the nurses' health study and healthy men from the health profession study. Now, these are studies carried out over 15, 20 years. And what they did was they regularly checked in with them, had them complete a survey about their dietary habits and their health as well as their mortality outcomes. And what they did was they looked at all this data and they then ran them against four dietary health pattern scales or indexes. And they use these indexes to say, how effective do these indexes predict this patient's eating behavior and what its influence is on mortality? There were similar components to what correlated with good outcomes. High consumption of plant-based foods like vegetables, fruits, legumes, monounsaturated fats, nuts, as well as low consumptions 
of highly processed meats and saturated fats. The study participants were queried using a food frequency questionnaire every two to four years, and altogether, they got 30 years of data. So what did they find? They found that food that correlated with improved life expectancy were high intake of whole grains. That doesn't mean whole wheat. Whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, and low diets low in processed foods, like my favorite hot dogs and sausages. Um, and then they looked at, and that was true for both all-cause mortality and cardiovascular risk. So you notice what they found, it wasn't saturated fat intake. It was highly processed meat intake. That was the risk factor. And lowering that risk came from eating lots of high-fiber foods. Wow. I mean, I like this. I like studies where we're looking at all-cause mortality because so often we're looking at little snippets of, uh, of this. This seems like a pretty simple set of recommendations. Uh, yeah, but still, how do we help our patients though, to meet these goals and to, to follow that type of a diet? And, and what sort of foods are you sort of recommending when you sort of say whole grains and fruit, right? So. Yeah. So let's dig down into it. So you're absolutely right. We, we need to get people away. I, I have dietitian friends that always think, oh, you've got to have high diets and fruits and vegetables, which I agree with, but they're always worried about, well, you can't have meat because it's got saturated fat. We've known for a long while that saturated fat isn't the problem. And so that's sort of old world thinking. This data supports things like whole grains. So as I said, whole grains does not meet whole wheat pasta or bread. It means whole grain cereals and whole grain breads. They tend to be more expensive when you buy them already prepared. So first thing is, that's a hard thing to do if you're on a limited budget. And, you know, PC's eating quick and he, he gets his food from next door. So he he's not going to be able to easily access whole grain foods from the local convenience store. Seven to 10 servings of non-starchy fruits and vegetables a day. So what's a serving? A serving something you can hold in the palm of your hand. Eating seven to 10 of these a day will give you 25 to 30 grams of fiber per day. Why fiber? Fiber feeds the good bugs in your intestine. It alters your microbiome. Uh, soluble fiber in particular increases the amount of short chain fatty acids your body produces. And those fatty acids encourage the production of GLP-1, the glucagon-like protein that we know helps patients stabilize their blood sugar and lose weight. So a really good reason to eat lots of fruits and vegetables is that it causes weight loss. Again, we know that PC is probably on a limited budget and he's getting his food from next door. So lots of fruits and vegetables are expensive. You need to think about it and plan your diet. Maybe you need to augment your intake with some form of soluble fiber to help make those goals. But you really cannot replace fruits and vegetables with just you know, store-bought over-the-counter fiber. You've got to find ways to get a bag of apples every week and eat one or two throughout the day. You need some vegetables and, and it needs to be non-starchy vegetables. So potatoes and rice and pasta are out. You've got to find ways, get a bag of carrots and just munch on them all day. These are ways to increase it. Nuts, well, gee, nuts are great, but they're very calorie dense. So, you know, peanuts are legumes, so they're, they fall in that pea category, but other nuts in particular, almonds and walnuts. There's num numerous studies that show patients who have 10 halves of a walnut a day have dramatic differences in both their ability to lose weight, they're lowering their cholesterol, 
and there's some cardiovascular benefit as well. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Just limit the amount of almonds or nuts to 10 a day. Lentils, legumes, and other beans are really inexpensive. You can buy them dry, soak them, and cook them. If you have a slow cooker or an instant pot sort of thing, you can you can make them quickly, and you can just make a bunch of them every weekend and then add them to your salad, add them to whatever you're eating, um, use them in place of rice or pasta for stews and soups and that sort of thing. Frank, I that 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 is that those are all great advice. I want to just ask though, fish seems to be missing from this. I, I was puzzled because I'm thinking fatty fish we hear a lot about. What's up with that? So it's great that you point that out, Bob. I've reviewed lots of studies, even some here on the podcast, about the role of fatty fish. And there are some there is a fair amount of data that looks at the consumption of fatty fish and lower in particular cardiovascular outcome. But in this study, it didn't show an impact. We have meta-analysis level data that shows high fish consumption is inversely correlated with low cardiovascular mortality, and that comes with a dose response. So at least two servings a week of fatty fish probably does increase your total cardiovascular risk by about 4%. So there is benefit to it, but people have the high fatty fish consumption tend to have active lives as well, and that may partially conflict the data because if you're just having fatty fish you know, take a, a piece of fatty fish and deep fry it and serve it with ketchup and, and some uh, deep fried potatoes. It's, it's a grilled or broiled or baked piece of fish that's part of a, of a healthy diet that includes some exercise. So Frank, you know, this is great. And I think it really simplifies things, but are, uh, um, there are particular, you know, things I can send my patients to websites or something that sort of presents it simply? That's really the key, Bob, is we have to get this information out. Many of us think, oh my God, I can't possibly cover this as well as all the other things I'm supposed to cover. And I want to just say that this is probably the most important thing you need to cover. So the uh, even though I'm not a big fan of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they do have a series of flyers you can give patients and signs you can hang up in your exam room. And so they're free, they're available. The, the link will be on the landing page here for this talk. And print them out and put them in the exam room and just say, make it really simple. Seven to 10 servings of non-starchy fruits and vegetables, you know, limit processed meats, along with getting out and getting some aerobic exercise. That, that should really be our focus. And also point out that this isn't a diet. This is how they need to think about changing their behavior for the rest of their life. One of my dietitian friends says, when you discuss this with patients, tell them you're not cutting out foods. You just want them to eat more of the good stuff. So really push the fruits and vegetables, help them find ways to get it in their diet, and realize that every incremental increase that you get them to do is likely to provide uh, at least an all-cause mortality benefit. That's great. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Bob. Practice pointer. Diets high in consumption of plant-based foods like vegetables, fruits, legumes, monounsaturated fats, and nuts, as well as the low consumption of processed meats, lowers the risk of premature mortality. Join us next time when we review a study comparing cocoa to multivitamin for the prevention of dementia. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.